Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we come into today, I just thank you and praise you that as we unmask prejudice, Lord God, as we step into a topic that has the ability to touch hearts, but Lord God, also heal a heart, plus also touch and heal a community, an organization, a family, a nation. Lord, I just thank you that when our thoughts align with your thoughts, heaven's realities become ours. Lord, I just thank you that today is not a day of just information, but it's going to be a day of supernatural application so that there can be transformation internally. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to look like you, not just on the outside. We want to look like you on the inside. Lord, I just thank you and praise you that today will be a day of separating man's and cultural societal thoughts from the thoughts of heaven. And Lord, we recognize today is Palm Sunday, a day to worship you, a day that represents the worship of Jesus. And Lord, what better way to worship you but to have who we are on the inside line up with who you are. So Holy Spirit, come. Lord, do a work. Grace me. Grace my throat. Grace my lungs. Grace grace my body. But Lord, even more so, I pray for a supernatural touch of your spirit, that today would not be a day that would be heavy to the heart, but it would be a day that brings freedom to the heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, today I'm going to talk about unmasking prejudice, and we're going to get into the mask in a moment, but I really want you to find prejudice, and the fact is, all of us have been prejudiced. Come on. All of us have been prejudiced. It just means pre-judgment. I make a judgment without information, right? Did you ever, uh, were you ever in a situation and I had an opinion And then when I found out what was really going on, I'm going, oh my gosh, I was wrong. I made a prejudgment. We are critical of what we do not understand. But when we gain understanding, prejudice or prejudgment leaves. That's righteous. That's why the judge of all the earth does right, because he has total knowledge. So prejudice. We've all been prejudiced, but we've all experienced prejudice. Come on. We've all been prejudged. So let's look at prejudgment. Its assumptions are made without accurate information. Oh, if we would just stop and gather information before we make an assumption and make a decision or a judgment or an opinion. It's opinions formed without facts. Beliefs are established without truth. All prejudice is destructive, 
fear-based attitudes that affect every relationship. I can make a judgment, oh, I know Stephen's thinking this. Well, I know that's how he feels. And the fact is, that fear-based attitude literally separates the person I've made a covenant with for my whole entire life, right? Because I made an assumption. I have an opinion that is not based upon truth. I'm preaching and someone has their arms folded. Ooh, they don't like what I'm saying right now. They're upset with me right now. See, we're, we're being prejudiced against as well as being prejudiced. Oh, guys, can you imagine when we know the truth? The truth makes us free. And when we know the truth, we bring freedom to others. Isn't it wonderful to have a relationship where I don't make a prejudgment, but I come to you and say, you know, I heard you said that. Tell me about that. And you're going, oh, I understand now. And maybe I really messed up. Or I could say, you're right, Laura. I said that. That was wrong. Forgive me. All prejudice is destructive, fear-based attitudes that affect every relationship. It sabotages the ability to influence or impact our world with justice, that's using our power for good, honor, and validation, which we talked about in the beginning of the year. Wherever there is prejudice, we will not walk in a purity of validation. So each one of us have a responsibility to silence the internal voice of bigotry. Here it is. Each one of us have to deal with our own voice. I have no power over you. Remember my, my quote? Powerful people change what they can and choose peace in what they cannot. And one thing I can't change is someone else. So I step into a place where I recognize I don't have the power to change you, but I do have the power to change me. I'll tell you, in the last few months, I've been so saturated, actually probably the last couple years, really much of my life, Um, but it's coming to a place where, oh, all these things have brought me into this time in history to release a voice and to release a message. And I've been so saturated in valuing others. I've been so saturated in judging that internal voice of bigotry inside of me to think about what I'm thinking about and judging anything that's contrary to the word of God, not just fears, but how I view people in everything. And in these last couple months, I have never cried so much in my life. And I've not cried out of sadness. I've not cried out of sorrow. I have cried because I feel the heartbeat of the Father. I feel his love in a way that I've never felt, not just towards me, but through me towards others, unlike anything I've ever felt and experienced in my entire life. It's like my heart is breaking in a good way. I've stepped into his presence in such a powerful way that I'm weeping in the presence of God. And if you've known me, most of you have known me for 30-some years. I've never been a crier. Come on. But I'm feeling the heartbeat of God. I'm feeling his heart for humanity. And I'm going to say this phrase all morning long because I'm going to get into some heavy stuff. I don't want anyone to feel condemned because guess what? We've all been on both sides of this thing. And I'm going to get into these things, but we must recognize that God is preparing us. He has to trust us 
with the harvest. We talk about the greatest revival that's going to hit planet earth before the return of Jesus Christ. There's things stirring in the body of Christ for the harvest. Prophetic voices all across the nations of the earth are proclaiming this harvest. Can we be trusted with the harvest? And it's not about numbers. It's not about church growth. It's not about your ministry growing. It's not even about your business growing. What it is, is are we people that God can trust our hearts with the hearts of those that he loves? Will we reject prejudgment and love and value them for who they are in the midst of all the negative things in their life? I'm so glad that while I was an enemy to God, he loved me and he is looking for a people that will love the harvest. Can we be trusted with the harvest? You look at the early church, you look at the disciples, you look at the church age being birthed, and we recognize that the church was born in Jerusalem, correct? And initially, it was almost all exclusively Jews, correct? And at that time, there was much prejudice and superiority, we might use the word supremacy, over everyone that was not a Jew, right? We know that. Even the ones who got saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're out there building the church. But this is for the Jews. The Gentiles, which was 90% of the world, you know, was out there, and this is for us. But God began to bring revelation. And one of the first things was we find in Acts, where Peter had a vision, where God began to shift his thinking, his religious thinking, his prejudgments, his beliefs, he began to confront that with an encounter with heaven. Praise God for revelation. Come on, guys. So there Paul, uh, Peter was. He was in the housetop, and he was hungry, and he prayed, and he went into a trance. He saw a sheet come down from heaven, Right? And on that sheet, there was um, wild animals and creeping things and birds of the air. And he heard this voice that said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. See how godly I am? See how pure I am? See how holy I am? I'm not going to touch that. That goes against the law, right? And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. And then we see how Peter's thoughts began to align with heaven. Acts 10, 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. In the Amplified, I understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Do you realize one of the first big revelations they experienced that is, was the exposure of prejudgment, the exposure of superiority? Come on, guys. Oh, yes, you are valuable, but every other person on this planet is valuable too. Yeah. 
And just like I loved you, I want you to love others. I want you to get rid of every mindset that causes you to think you're better than somebody else. Oh, come on, guys. It has never been God's desire to divide people and put people into categories. We are human beings. We are a part of the human race, period. We are separate from animals. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> Where he said, well, you know, that's just their animal instincts. No, we are separate from animals. And science proves that, and even more so our creator proves that, because he made everything, and it was good. And when he made man, he said, that's very good. Yeah. Revelation 7, 9 talks about the great multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. Oh, come on, guys. See, we are not born prejudice. Prejudice is learned. It's learned from my experience or somebody else telling me their experience. So my goal in my book, my goal in the Stop Devaluation Movement, my goal in this message today is to re-educate because we've been educated in things that are not godly. Even in the church world, they've been educated into things that are not godly. They've even taken truth and used truth to act in a way that's opposite of the heart of God. So we want to re-educate so there can be reformation, a rescue from error and a return to the rightful course. And that rightful course isn't when the church was birthed. That rightful course was how God ordained it to be when he created man. It's his heart. So prejudice is learned. Prejudgment, assumptions, biases, stereotypes is all learned. We're profiling our belief about a certain group of people, whether it's racial, whether, well, you know those millennials. Millennials are just lazy. That's prejudice, guys. How can you take a whole group of people and judge it by one person? Well, you know those baby boomers, they might as well just quit. They don't have anything left to offer. Excuse me. Okay. Socioeconomic status. How much money you have or how much money you don't. The haves and the haves not. Come on, guys. So much prejudice. Political views. Which side are you on? Well, if you don't agree with me, you're going to hell. Something's wrong with you if you don't agree with me. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Religious methodologies. Something's wrong with you if you don't dance around and raise your hand. Come on. It's the condition of the heart. We can't judge the heart. The moment I stereotype, I choose to believe a lie about the majority. Come on. If I label, maybe I saw a lazy millennial, and I did see a few. In ITC, we worked hard with work ethic, acceptance of responsibility, development of maturity. But you cannot stereotype. Every person is an individual. And we, when we learned to believe the best in some, I mean, you ask, you know, EJ, he was known for being the slowest mover on the planet. 
It would take him five minutes to walk across the parking lot as he looked at the birds in the sky. But you know what? He had an encounter with God that began to reveal to him the, the, the treasure that he carried. And that young man is impacting the community. That young man is touching. I mean, he is in a public school system without a degree in education because of what he carries. See, where I was doesn't mean where I, is where I am. And it's, that doesn't mean where, that's where I'm going to be either. We cannot stereotype the majority because of an experience. And that might be a legitimate experience, but that doesn't mean that person can't change. You know, I can't remove those negative experiences. I can't remove those things that hurt. I tell you, uh, I was prejudiced against white men. Because guess what? From the time I was two years old, when I was molested repeatedly by different individuals till I was nine years old, it was all white men. So I grew up having a hatred towards white men. Well, I want to say I grew up having a hatred towards all men. And then I moved to Kansas City, Missouri. And when I moved in, uh, to Kansas City uh, to go to airline school, of course, I wasn't saved, and I went to some booze party, and I got horribly drunk. And there was this group of uh, white guys about my age that were going to gang rape me. And they went to gang rape me, and there was this big black guy. I don't even know his name. He had a nickname. Meatball was his nickname. <laughs> And Meatball, he got there, and he rescued me. He took me out of that place. He took me back to that dorm room, and he stayed with me all night to make sure I was protected. And the rest of my time in Kansas City, he was my bodyguard. I was like here, he was like here, and he protected Melody. Then I knew I was going to marry a black man. <laughs> White men are bad, but black men are good. See, I made all my judgments based upon my experience. And I couldn't take away that experience. And I thought, maybe not all men are bad. It's just the white men that are bad. Prejudice is learned. But when I choose to align my thoughts with heavens, and I challenge my beliefs in order to silence those internal voices of bigotry, then I am changed. Because I can't have prejudgment on the inside of me and be emotionally healthy. I can't live in gossip and stereotypes and judgment and hatred towards others, anger towards others. Living out of all the painful experiences of my past, I'll never be healthy internally. How can God trust me with the harvest when I can't love them? If I can't see past my own experiential reality... We talked about in the beginning of the year with validation quoting. The validation of the human soul cannot coexist with prejudice, injustice, or discrimination of any kind. We must deal with this so that we can be trusted with the harvest. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the man, uh, uh, an amazing apostle in the body of Christ. His name is Joseph Matera. He is from New York City. And he wrote an article about how Christians excuse their ungodly behavior and they use God to do it or scripture to do it. 
And he said, so many Christians are constantly judging others. Now, I'm reading what Joseph Matera said. I'd rather him say it than me say it, okay? When you read some of the posts on social media and see Christians harshly fighting each other in public, you have wonder whose spirit they are emanating. When a person comes to Christ, man, we can be born again. We could be a new creature in Christ in our spirit. But what's happening in our soul? What's happening in our mind, right? When a person comes to Christ, if their false self, false self, it's not who we are. But if their false self related to pride, anger, bitterness, ego, and self-righteousness is not dealt with, they can easily fall into the trap of thinking their judgmental spirit is being used in service to God. In John 16, 2, it says that whosoever kills you will think they have done God a service. For there to be the harvest, God has got to do a work in the body of Christ. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because I think we've got the greatest church in the world. It is so easy to pastor this house. Because we are a gossip-free zone. We are a prejudice-free zone. We love deeply one another. We don't live under the law. We live under love. But there has to be a beautiful work continuing in us and spreading throughout the body of Christ. And I believe it's happening. Joseph Matera goes on to say, as a Christian, is it possible to espouse biblical, moral, and social values while not allowing God to transform our inner life related to agape love, brokenness, empathy, mercy, kindness, and humility. Remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? (laughs) Those that are humble, those that are meek, those that are pure in heart. He's giving us the culture of heaven. Okay, get ready for this one. If you don't know what it is, uh, I'll try to help you as I go through it. But this is Joseph Matera's case in point with Lauren Daigle. How many of you know the controversy with Lauren Daigle? Lauren Daigle is a, a Christian artist, amazing songs, beautiful songs, godly songs. And she went on the Ellen DeGeneres show. She went on Saturday Night Live. She went on all these ungodly shows, all right? She was criticized, scolded, and rebuked in public by so many so-called Christians. I was disheartened when I saw this since it exposed the fact that religious fundamentalist legalism is still rampant in the world. Why wouldn't she want to appear on a show to sing songs about Jesus in front of millions of unchurched people. And as a matter of fact, I would rather be on Ellen's show, and he lists a bunch of Christian shows, than all these other Christian shows, since it would give me an amazing opportunity to connect millions of non-Christians to the Jesus I know and I love. If Ellen asked Jesus to appear on her show, 
I am sure he would have had no biblical objection since he regularly ate and fellowshiped with those not identified as righteous by religious standards of his day. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that he ate and he drank with sinners. Unfortunately, many who castigated Lauren justified their rants by hiding behind God and his word, which is worse than just giving their honest opinion. It would be better to say, this is my opinion. I think it was wrong than to say God said it, okay? Conversely, by being present in the world with those who don't know Christ, we are able to incarnate the love and person of Jesus to people without losing our identity or condoning their lifestyle. I went to one group of people, and I've been really sharing my whole stopped evaluation thing, and someone sat around the table, and they said, well, what are you going to do about, and they named this social issue. They, you know, what are you going to do about that? And I said, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to value all of humanity. I'm going to love people no matter where they're at. I'm not going to judge them based upon what they do. I'm going to judge them based upon heaven's view of them. And guess what? When you build a bridge of relationship and the door opens and you can talk to them about Jesus and they open up their heart to Jesus, then it'll be up to Jesus and them to work this thing out. So we as a church don't want to be hiding behind mask. And see, hiding behind a mask and not seeing it externally does not mean we're not dealing with the spirit of prejudice. Just because I might guard myself and not let it out doesn't mean I'm not dealing with it. So we have to deal with that on the inside of us. There are three masks I'm going to talk about today. Okay, so you all know I love you as I go into this. I'm not preaching at you. I'm just sharing you points from my book, but this is heavy stuff, okay? But this is a place, (coughs) excuse me, this is a place of assessment. This is a place where we say, if this is in me, Lord, I repent right now. I didn't realize the spirit of what this was. So I just deal with that thought right now. I reject that thought, and I'm moving on. You know, repentance is just a shift in the way we think. The three masks are mask of manipulation, mask of performance, and mask of self-protection. So let's look at the mask of manipulation. First of all, all manipulation is self-focused and it's fundamentally deceptive. So I'm manipulating or trying to manipulate externally So I'm not letting you see what's really going on on the inside of me. I'm disguising what's really happening on the inside of me in order to get what I want. Manipulative words may be sweet to the ears, but the heart motives are premeditatively corrupt. My actions might seem real sweet on the outside, but internally my motives are corrupt. There's two types of manipulation. One is subconscious, and the other one is conscious, deliberate choice. See, a lot of times we might function in manipulation, but we don't know we're doing that. Other times, we are deliberately doing that. Okay? Let's look at the subconscious. 
The subconscious manipulation is when we're compelled by our own need. The need itself might even be a legitimate need. The need is not wrong. Guess what? We all need to be loved. We all need to be valued. We all need to belong. We all need these things, right? And so I can step into manipulation to get that need met. Well, if I do this, 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 and this for Stephen, he's going to say, oh, Melody, I love you so much. So I really didn't do it because I love him. I did it because I want him to love me. See, I'm driven by my need. Hey, I, I've, I've not been healthy the last two weeks. And it was like three days ago, I'm going, I really like need a hug sometime soon, you know, because when we don't feel good, we stay away from each other, you know, because we don't want somebody else to get sick. And um, I walked by him one day and just kissed him on the back. I mean, it's like, oh, man, I, I didn't. I didn't try to manipulate something. I just came out and said, you know, I'm really needing a hug soon, you know. (laughs) Isolating yourself from the world. (laughs) I realize I'm a very high energy person. I don't like not having energy. It's not fun. So sometimes it's just that psychological need for love and affection. But instead of just being honest and saying, I need, I need you to give me a hug, or I, 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 you know, can we just spend some time together? No, we have to try to manipulate it. Because we're too afraid to say, you know, this is what I need. Or maybe it's a physical need to sustain our livelihood. Man, I, I need money for rent. I need money for food. I need these. So what can I do? How can I manipulate some situations? You know, I so celebrate all those who have such a grace for like food kitchens and all those type of things. And, and I, I just, it's beautiful. I did not do very good at it. We did it for a few years, and, and people would call me up, and they'd give me pseudo names, and, and they would tell me a big string of lies to try to get something from us. And I said, you're not telling me the truth. And then the next week, they'd call with a different name than they called the week before. And I'm going, try changing your voice or something, you know. And, but what it was, it wasn't mean. They, they weren't bad people. They were driven by a need that they needed met. So they tried manipulating to get that need met. See, it's subconscious. They're not doing it to harm anybody else. They're just so driven by their own need. What's God said? Let your requests be made known unto God. That's what having a family is about. My God shall supply all your needs. And we can be honest about, we need to be honest about our needs. Because when we release, this is what I need, then somebody knows what they can do to meet that need. But that's not manipulation, that's just honesty. Behind the mask are half-truths, maybe exaggeration or even pity. All of those things used to reach that goal. And the fact is, the more we focus on our needs, the less we care about the needs of others. See, when I'd get those calls and they would just lie to me, blatantly lie to me, they didn't care how it hurt us, how it kept us, from maybe giving to somebody else that had a need. They weren't caring about other people's needs. They were only caring about their own. I mean, this morning, you know I'm a hugger. It is torturous 
for me not to grab you and hug you. Little Lauren, she came up to me and I go, oh, I want to hug you. I want to kiss your cheeks. You know, I want to do this. But see, I love you too much to risk you not feeling good. I don't think I'm contagious, so at least I told I wasn't. I, but I want to make sure, okay? So we want to care about others. Let's look at this deliberate. I'm going to go through this one fast. Um, but deliberate conscious manipulation. It's intentional manipulation. And honestly, guys, we need to recognize that if this is in us. But we also have to recognize when it's coming at us. Because to respond to the manipulation of somebody else is not love. I know I used to think it was love. I knew they were trying to manipulate me, but well, you know what? If I just love them, then, that, then you know, that'll help, help them heal. No. Doing things that are contrary to the kingdom will not bring the kingdom to me. Intentional manipulation reveals a deliberate agenda to take from someone else. Anything that benefits them with no regard to the pain, suffering, or loss of others. There is no empathy. They only care about their need being met. We can call this narcissistic personality. I only care about how it affects me. I'm not thinking about how my affections affect my, um, what, what's the word I want? Actions. How my actions affect somebody else. That's narcissistic. Sweet-tasting promises become toxic. Oh, through the years, I've heard lots of promises. <laughs> but it was to get what they wanted, and then after they got what they wanted, you're saying, oh, my gosh, my three-year-old's like that. Come on, guys. That's just immaturity. <laughs> They're not narcissists, all right? They're just young and immature. And the, guess what? When you're, when you're immature, the world revolves around you, all right? So don't get paranoid, parents or grandparents, all right? So a conscious, deliberate choice can be flattery. I hate flattery. I love compliments. I love validation. I love being loved, but I don't like flattery. And through the years, I've learned what flattery looks and sounds like. But it is excessive, and it's insincere praise. Flattery sets a trap for us. Proverbs 29.5, to flatter friends. Look, it says friends. You're flattering your friends. To flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. Because see, if I'm flattering you, I'm saying something to you to try to get something from you. His or her charming personality proves to be lethal. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Say Amen. I'd rather someone just come up and be honest with me. Joel's already said, hey, mom, can I be honest about this? I said, please. I love that because that is love. That is love. When we are able to receive and be teachable from people that genuinely love us, and there's not going to be a retaliation or an anger in response what it does is it allows for that healthy connection that Katie's been talking about. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims, and flattering words cause ruin. Romans 16, 18. 
Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. Can God trust us with the harvest? Can he trust us with the harvest? I don't want someone to get saved and they step into a place where they become a trophy on the shelf for someone. And when they're just so hungry and want to please God that there is a leader or a quote-unquote friend that wants to use them and take advantage of them. That's mask of manipulation. Let's look at mask of performance. Different cultural settings expect its members to perform in a prescribed way. Every culture has that. We have our own culture. We are a prejudice-free zone. We are a gossip-free zone. And we're living in the beauty of that experience. But that doesn't mean that there aren't times inside of a person, even within this house, that they are gossiping on the inside <laughs> or having attitudes on the inside or having prejudicial, bigoted thoughts on the inside. Now, in our culture, we know it's not acceptable, so we might just put a mask of performance on so it looks good externally, but I'm battling with it internally. Come on, this is humanity. This is life. This is society. There's 50 million voices out there screaming in our ears all the time to say it doesn't exist or that it will stop existing is, is not true. But the fact is, when we recognize it inside of us and we deal with it, we are getting free. And then the walls can tear down. The mask can be removed. And I won't be performing. I'll just be me and you get to be you. How liberating is that? You don't have to act a certain way to get Melody to love you. You're just loved, period. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to have a certain amount of money. You don't have to have this platform or position to be loved. Man, we're just going to love you. Come on. That's life. These masks are worn to generate relational or cultural acceptance and may be, may be, a false representation of who we actually are. We call it people-pleasing or we call it appeasement. I do those things so you're happy with me. And if I perform perfectly, then you're going to love me. An actor plays a role and aligns himself with the script. The character they are playing is not a true reflection of his or her real-life identity. And that's what an actor does, right? They take a script. Masks of performance, performance are, this is the script, and see, one reason I think we see things that are contrary to the word of God in the body of Christ is because they know what the script says, but they aren't transformed internally. So they manipulate the script to release what's going on on the inside of them. For appearance's sake, we can wear a public mask and perform like an actor on a movie set without a genuine expression of our true motivations. When we say, I love you, we need to mean it. And I believe in this house, we do mean it. Are you guys okay? Okay. 
The third mask, the mask of performance. You're probably glad I'm not preaching a lot today because I never get done, okay? <clears throat> so trying to keep my voice under control. This is probably the greatest reason that masks are worn, and it's probably the one that you're going to relate to the most. No one likes to feel defenseless, unsafe, or powerless. So we put on a mask of self-protection. Oh, hypothetical. Stephen is in a bad mood. Okay, he's in a bad mood. I think I need to protect myself for a little while. What type of... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm feeling some vibes going on. And as these vibes are going on, I think I will just like exit stage left, you know, for a little while. And uh, so we put on that mask to protect us, right? You get around somebody that's angry, okay, let's get away from that angry person, all right? It's not warmed, worn to hurt another person but so that we ourselves do not get hurt. How many of you can admit this one at times, right? Every person is wired for love and validation. But when love is withheld or we are afraid that love would be withheld, then this mask becomes our place of protection. It's like our weapon of choice. When I feel like I'm not accepted, I will choose this mask in order to belong. When I feel I'm not good enough, I choose self-protection to hide my sense of inadequacy. When I feel others look down on me, I wear the mask of self-protection to pretend I do not care what they think. And the fact is, we do care what people think. We can't be controlled by what they think. But we do care what people think. I didn't ask Stephen once in the last two weeks how I look. Because I knew the answer, and I didn't want to hear the answer. That's a lousy illustration, but my brain is working hard this morning, all right? When I feel others look down on me, I wear the mask of self-protection to pretend I do not care about what they think. See, that's why the culture of this house is so important. Because when there is the heart connection, when there is genuine love and validation and acceptance, we don't have to wear masks. And when we wear these masks, all the while beneath my mask, I am hurting. And I'm afraid to be me. Oh, yeah. It was hard to breathe. Yeah. I've been going down to visit Grammy, and I'm learning when I put that mask on, I'm protecting her. You know, because I don't want, if there is any germs, I don't want it to touch Grammy. But it's like breathe. Having that mask over my mouth suddenly put such pressure on my chest. And I began to feel I was physically going backwards rather than getting healed because I'm recirculating air in an inch <laughs> rather than getting fresh, healthy air into my lungs. And so, yeah, masks are not really good to wear. Maybe, in that case, it's good for Grammy, but not good for me, okay? Okay. 
It keeps us from authenticity and our true creative expression. The fear of vulnerability is just so strong. Withdrawal and isolation drives us to a place of perceived safety, perceived safety. I feel safe wearing the mask, but I'm not safe at all. I'm wearing the mask because I don't feel safe. It makes me think I'm protecting myself, but it hinders my ability from touching others. And at this time, perceived safety, while we make assumptions about others that may or may not be true. See, I'm putting this mask on to protect me from Stephen's bad day, and I start making assumptions about him and what he's thinking and what he's believing. Now, I'm walking in prejudice towards him as I'm trying to protect myself. See, this isn't just some political issue. This is the battle of humanity. But the fact is, when heaven's thoughts become our thoughts, we can win this battle. People will assume our external actions are a true representation of our hearts. We think this mask, this is who they see me to be, and they like who this is, but we struggle. What if they really knew us? What if I removed this mask? Would they still love me? Oh, I lived with this big time. Pastoring was the hardest thing I did the first 20-some years of my life, first 30 years of my life, because everyone wanted you to wear a different mask. <laughs> Okay, for this one, I have to act this way. For this one, I have to act this way. Oh, it wore you out. And you never, ever felt loved. So it hinders authentic relationships. It's difficult to enjoy our relationships when we know that others are only responding to what we allow them to see. We expend so much emotional energy putting on this mask so that you care. Or at least I feel like you care. Fears of rejection and abandonment keep this self-protective mask supporting a false identity. We become convinced that to lose this mask, we lose ourselves. That's a big risk to take off the mask. Over time, our voice, our passions, our dreams, and our hopes become unrecognizable. Because this dream inside of me, I can't let it out. Because I have to get authentic. I got to get real i got to get honest. And I've been so used to wearing a mask. If they begin to see what's on the inside of me, what if they reject me? So I just bury the dream until it seems non-existent. Because what if I step out and do something and it fails? What are people going to think about me? Guess what, guys? This is all prejudicial thoughts. It's not the way God ordained us to live in community. So we need courage to remove the mask. Before I get into that, I just want to pray. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for each one. Lord, this is a season where we're removing the mask. This is a season where we're coming into authenticity. This is a season where we have the courage. We have the courage. We have the courage to arise and say, I'm going to risk being who you created me to be. And I'm going to love who you created me to be. I'm going to express who you created me to be. And I'm going to rest in the results of that. So Holy Spirit, come by your power. Come by your love. Come by your presence to break off all the things that have kept us locked inside of ourselves. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you 
that you're doing such of a beautiful work inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as that mask, that facade, that false reality is removed, we see our world and ourselves through a lens of mature self-assessment. I'm not afraid to admit I messed up because I'm human just like you. Let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Come on. Who here is perfect, got it together all the time? None of us. We're all a work in progress. It's liberating to grow. It's liberating to be in a safe place. My goodness, when our kids learn to rock, walk and they fall over, we don't say, you stupid kid, what'd you fall over? No, we get them back up and say, good job, good job. They poop on the pot for the first time. You throw a party. Come on. We're not expecting someone to be perfect, but we love to see them grow. We may see separation of those who wanted us only for the mask we wore, not who we really are. There might be some who go, I don't think I like the real you. <laughs> I'd rather you patronize me. I'd rather you be subservient to me. I'd rather this or I'd rather that. Hey. But do you ever feel loved if people only like you for the mask you wore? because you know it's not really you. But we will also discover those who see and celebrate us for who we truly are. Isn't that awesome? And you know, one thing I see in this last, I'd say at least six, seven years of ministry, I've never experienced such freedom to be melody. And I know I'm loved. Do I do it perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. But I'm free to be me. I remember hiding back. I'd stay back with the children. I'd stay back with the youth because I know none of the adults would accept me. Now I can stand up and I can be me. It's free. It's freedom. Proverbs 27.5, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Proverbs 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Isn't that beautiful? That's connection. That's relationship. That is family. That's a local church, guys. Charles Spurgeon said, sincerity makes the very least person to be of more value than the most talented hypocrite. I'm going to read it again. Sincerity makes the very least person to be of more value than the most talented hypocrite. Guys, we want to be a family. We want to be a family that carries so much value for one another. And we don't have to appear like we're this most powerful, successful person. Whatever God does, we celebrate it. One thing I really realize is that the simple things in life satisfy me. I'm used to walking in here and Aiden 
who is much bigger than me, runs, hugs me, and almost like knocks me in two because he's a big kid, you know? And he comes in, he goes, I don't want to hug you. I don't want to get sick. <laughs> and I go, I know, I know, I know. The simple things in life, a hug from a grandkid. Walking into a place that you're celebrated. Knowing people are praying for you. Knowing you're accepted for who you are and love for who you are. That's valuable, guys. Those are the things that satisfy our soul. And all the big things, hey, and I want to change the world, so I'm not telling you I don't want the big things. But I recognize all the big things are not for me. All the big things are for others. It's to build something bigger than me. It's not about me. Because the things that satisfy me are family. Natural family, spiritual family, relationships, partnerships, trusted relationships, loyalty, honesty, integrity, being celebrated. And the Lord says, daughter, truly, I want you to know that you've been in many situations in your life where you felt like you had to perform. And you worked so hard for your needs to be met. And the Lord says, I saw the hurt and I saw this pain. I saw the struggle. I saw how you weren't even secure in your own heart of what you wanted to do and who you wanted to be and who am I really. And I just see you uh, just being in situations where you just felt like you were not good enough, that you didn't have what it took to be successful. But the Lord says, daughter, I'm dismantling every one of those lies and I'm going to cause you to know and to recognize that I brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm going to cause you to know that I placed inside of you, in your mother's womb, an ability to function and not just be successful in the eyes of men, but live in a successful way that fulfills your heart and fulfills your soul. And you looked and you, you sought for things in different areas and even through different individuals, and it's like it backfired and it hurt and it wounded you. And you go, here I go again. I can't trust anybody. Here I go again. I'm getting used again. I'm getting taken advantage of again. And the Lord says that has been a cycle for you. But the Lord says that cycle is being broken right now. And the Lord says, I'm releasing my heart and my love for you. And you're going to discover that you carry a voice. And that voice is going to impact many. And it's going to be a voice of healing. It's going to be a voice of wholeness. And it's going to be a voice of life. And it's going to fulfill your heart in a way that you've never experienced. And, you know, a lot of times it's easy to say, oh, something you've never, ever experienced. I believe you're coming into that which you've never experienced. And so the Lord says, allow your hope to rise. Allow your vision to rise. Recognize where you were is not where you're at. And where you're going is going to release such joy and fulfillment. The Lord says, you are not alone. Father, we bless her now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Where was I? Um, we step into power, courage, and validation when we remove the mask. We are free to be independent thinkers. We are free to care for others and allow them to care for us. Oh, my goodness. Think about this. When you don't wear a mask, 
When you reach out to hug me and I know I'm not wearing a mask and you love me, it is so easy to give and receive love. There is an exchange of life. We are free to trust the trustworthy and place healthy boundaries with those who prove themselves to be dishonest or devious. Guess what? I can still love the dishonest, but I'm able to put up healthy boundaries. We see people as individuals, not as clones of a few angry voices. You might hear people echoing a lot of negative things in our world, but guess what? We're going to start looking at them as individuals. We're not going to put them in a box and say, oh, they're like everybody else that says that. We are able to value others even if they do not value us. When you don't wear a mask and you love your life, if somebody doesn't like you, bless their heart. Somebody talks bad about you, bless their hearts. Because guess what? If they're doing that, they're hurting. Guys, they're hurting. We just want to rise up and attack back when in actuality they're hurting. Let your heart break for them. They're angry. You're yelling at you, cursing at you, doing something. Bless their hearts. They're hurting. We've taken things so personal. That doesn't mean we have to stay in that. It just means that we recognize that it's not us. They're hurting. Peace rules our inner man, not the prejudice or the narrow-mindedness of another. We become powerful in our ability to separate ourselves from our past experiences as we make healthy choices for our present and our future. We recognize that the removal of a mask empowers us to be a positive influence in our world. There are people lined up for the real you. There are people lined up for someone that's going to love them unconditionally. There are people that are lined up just to connect to you. We're a light in a dark world. Can God trust us with the harvest? You might have heard this story, but I'm going to close on this story. But when I went to Trinidad and Tobago, and no one would look at me in the eyes. I walked in there. I was this, this white lady from America. And they wouldn't even look at me. And that upset me so much. I thought, why would, I mean, I'm no, come on. I'm just an average person, just like everybody else. But they had this image of who they thought I was, which was a false image. And I got up and I did my $20 bill thing, you know, and I did all these things. And I, it just made me so upset because I could feel that they had shame. And I went and I went before I ever even started speaking, I started dealing with the things of how valuable they were. And, you know, no matter what's happened to you, nothing takes away your value. And at the, in, in the break time, they came up to me. First of all, they lifted up and they began to look at me. They're wiping tears away from their eyes. And during the break, they were coming up and hugging me and kissing me. See, we have, it's in our realness. It's in our authenticity. And I tell them real stories. 
When I go into places like that, I don't go in as this big professional consultant. I go in as an ordinary human being talking about my stupid years, talking about the pain of my past, relating and connecting to their humanity and say, guess what? Nothing took away my value. Nothing takes away your value. And then suddenly everything that had tried to divide us was broken down. And now guess what? We are the same. And there was love, and there was value, and there was celebration. And that day, even though the day ended at 3 o'clock, I worked till 10 o'clock at night. Because there were so many people wanting to just connect with me and talk to me. Why? Because they felt valued. Not one person talked to me about my great consulting. But they all talked to me about what they felt from me. I think it's Maya Angelou or maybe Mother Teresa said people really, you know, don't look at what you do. They look at the heart that you carry. And what's going to change people's lives is carrying the heart of heaven. And that's what's going to build bridges across the cultural divides. That is what is going to heal hearts. That is what has the power to heal nations. That is what has the power for the church to be what God's called it to be so that we can be a part of the greatest harvest the earth has ever seen. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you and praise you, Lord God, that in the midst of all the things we covered, the positive, the negative, that, Lord, you are giving us such an ability to be able to discern what's going on on the inside of us so that we can remove the mask, we can remove uh, the lies, we can remove the thoughts that don't align with heaven, and, Lord, so that we can see our value and we can see the value of others. Lord, I thank you that you are working in us so that you can entrust the babies, the hungry, to us. In the name of Jesus, I just bless each one in Jesus' name.